To Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm Alejandro Alfaro Santis. My pronouns are he, his, el, de él. In this episode, we'll discuss the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 14, or Proper 9, which this year falls on July 4th. Brief content notifications for you. In our deep dive, there is a use and explanation of the word illegal, specifically around immigration. And in our gospel reading, we talk about the dangers with immigration and especially immigration across borders. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. We are excited today to have as our special guest, Reverend Alejandro Alfaro Santis, who is a human being living in Des Moines, Iowa, with his spouse, two boys, and a dog. He happens to be an ordained United Methodist clergy and is the lead pastor at Trinity Las Americas United Methodist Church, a multicultural, bilingual, progressive, and affirming inner-city congregation in Des Moines. And he's my colleague! (laughs) Anyway, welcome! It is good to have you on our podcast. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Our readings for today have to do with the movement of people, both in terms of the Babylonian exile and being exiled and returning from it and being sent as a prophet to the people of Israel, as well as in Mark where Jesus sends out the twelve dependent on the hospitality of strangers. You are an immigrant in Iowa of all places which I've talked about at a variety of points in our podcast, so our listeners are pretty familiar with our racist legislation and statewide government. But I'm curious what your experience has been like as an immigrant in this country, not just in Iowa, but also for the time that you've been. So I've been living in the U.S. for 11 years now, and I spent two and a half years in Denver and the rest in Iowa, one in Ames and the rest here in Des Moines. And so in in Denver, I found my group of people fairly quickly, uh, people who were really focused on social justice, doing theater, like street theater. The youngest member was six months old. Lily was a newborn baby. And the oldest, Helen, was 89. And it's amateur theater, but, but, but it was amazing. So I had like a very good experience of meeting diverse people and people who are committed to helping others. I've also mm-hmm. experienced racism. And yet, mm-hmm. I think being a cisgender male, being Christian, being, you know, college educated. I mean, th- there's a lot of layers of privilege that I experience things differently th- th- that somebody who, who may have a different experience th- than I do. Mm-hmm. I, I know I experienced a lot of racism through the lives of the people I serve. Like, like the first thing that comes to mind is when Donald Trump got elected, people from the generation I serve who have taken, who had lived here for years and years and years and take the bus every day and never had an issue, uh, you know, like public transportation, people were yelling at them, like, when are you going to go back to Mexico? Uh, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of if they were Mexican or not, sometimes they were, sometimes they were not. So... The other thing that, that comes to mind is when, when another immigrant told me when I just moved to Iowa. And, and she said that Iowans are very friendly, but they will not be your friends. Which mm. I, I, I think that, that explains a lot of the Iowan eyes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I frequently say that being nice is a sin. And it's yes. that sort yes. of niceness I- that... Right, like well, I'll be, I'll be friendly and I'll be nice to your face, but behind your back, I'm not going to, or I'm not going to actually try to be in relationship with you in any sort of meaningful way. I just want you to think yeah. that I like you, and I yeah. want you to like me. And what blows my mind is that there are Iowans who think that being Iowa nice is a good thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. There are Minnesotans that think the same thing about being Minnesota nice. <laughs> oh, Minnesota nice is also about three levels up from that. In terms of just sheer passive aggressiveness, but yeah. so maybe it's a Midwest thing. <laughs> it, Midwestern nice is definitely a thing. Oh. I grew up in Illinois, and oh my goodness, it's 
the the one difference between Illinois and the and Minnesota for me is that in Illinois, if someone is angry with you, they will eventually tell you. It may take a while, but they will tell you. In Minnesota, you will never mm. know <laughs> until they die or until their family yeah. tells you. I think I think it's also connected to white people, right? So it's yes. Midwestern mm, yeah. white people. Nice, yeah. True. I I think about how Native American people have like this. I don't know, for lack of a word, justice resolution like restorative justice type of thing like, like, like whenever somebody uh wrongs yes. someone instead of you know like being mad and not telling the person or or just lashing out but, but but they involve the whole community and there is reconciliation uh as the goal mm-hmm. yeah versus like the dominant u.s justice is punitive if you do something bad to someone else the state punishes you and finds you and all of this stuff and there's no like rebuilding community yeah. refinding community the, the state is going to yeah. kill you to prove that killing people is wrong yes exactly exactly so on a personal level too i think i i'm thinking i haven't thought about this in a long time i swear i would never study in the u.s let alone live in the u.s right mm. and you know i think god has a sense of humor because i end up living here and studying well studying here and then living here mm-hmm. and the very first day i moved i was getting down the plane in denver airport and i got into a share ride van and there was a family there and then they picked me up and the dad was on his phone mm. the mom was on her phone and they had two kids and both were in some sort of tablets or something. <laughs> and 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 I, you know, wanted to say hi or something, but they literally were just like, and I thought like, oh yeah, you know, like I have to remember I'm in the U.S. and in the U.S. everybody's like glued to their phones and they don't, you know, talk to people and blah, blah, blah. But that was a good lesson for me about not judging people without knowing them because as it turned out, mm-hmm. Denver Upper is very far from, from Denver, it's like a half an hour for a five minute drive. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, the family was super friendly. Uh, we did have an amazing conversation and it just happened that they were very stressed because they had rented a car and they were not sure whether the ride would make it uh, on time b- before they closed. Oh. Because from the same company, renting the car in the airport was twice as much. And and, and so the, the dad and the mom both were trying to you know, you, you know to, to connect with somebody and try to get a hold of someone, and the kids were just you know had like a long flight and they needed to be distracted. Uh, but one of the kids uh, gave me like a brontosaurus figure uh, rubber band that I still oh. carry with me. I mean, I don't carry it with me. I, I still have it. Uh, I don't carry it with me because I would lose it. But uh, mm-hmm. f- for me, that, that's that's a reminder to to not be quick to judge people. I mean, because I know I can very easily mm. fall into that. Like I see somebody doing X, Y, Z and start having all these ideas in my head. And if I don't know the person and I'm not in relationship with them, how can I know what they're doing, what they're doing, right? Uh, so I, that has served me to, to to know that sometimes people who are not, who are racist or are hostile to Im- immigrants, it's because they don't know anyone. Uh, and maybe... I, I've tried sometimes to get to know people and they've had bad experiences with a person that happened to be an immigrant, but that doesn't mean that, you know, everybody should mm-hmm. be uh, putting the same page. So that, that was a, that was a good reminder when you asked me about, I mean, the question is you asked me, <laughs> oh, what has, what were my experience yeah. as an immigrant in this country? Yeah. Well, and it, it reminds me of the gospel reading, right? Where Jesus is sending out the 12 in pairs, so six groups, out and says, don't bring anything extra, trust in the hospitality of wherever you go. If they welcome you, stay there for as long as you're there. If they don't, shake the dust from your feet, keep going. And that sense of like, how long do you wait to see if they're going to welcome you, right? Like, did the decide, like, did the 12 like go out and go to like the town square and like, wait there for half an hour for five hours? Like, how long do you wait to see if someone's going to give you hospitality if somebody's going to engage with you and talk to you about the rental car <laughs> that is stressing them out or whatever the case may be and there's there's that where like if you're in a certain town are the disciples gonna be like okay we can wait for five minutes and then we're out of here and other parts like other towns they'll be like oh we can stay for five hours and see if anybody picks it and like yeah I don't know I think it's 
those dynamics of like how do we welcome people and how do we receive welcome yeah and it's so so hard i mean as you shared this i just remember there's this lady from the congregation that moved to a new house this was many many years ago before even i I, I was there, but this is a famous story that has been shared about how mm-hmm. she moved to a, a new place in Des Moines and she was excited and she brought, you know, tomatoes to her neighbor and, and her neighbor uh, being oh, fun. Uh, not nice. She was like, eh, I, I don't like tomatoes. And and it was obviously that it, it was because she was an immigrant. And so the next week mm-hmm. uh, she baked something and uh, and she brought like a baked type of bread and, and she dismissed her too she didn't get it and it's amazing that she kept doing this for so many weeks uh that eventually uh the, the way this person shares her story is that now every summer she's the one that brings me you know xyz uh so so they, they, they end up mm. be, be becoming I, I don't know if friends uh but 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 they end up friendly. becoming friendly uh, the, the neighbor eventually accepted her gifts and started to bring her gifts back. But I, I'm just amazed. I mean, I'm, I learned so much from the people I serve because I would never have that patience. Uh, I mean, if I yeah. bring something personal and the person dismisses, I would not do it again. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, the question you asked about how how long do we stay until to know if we're welcome is what made me think about that story. Yeah. Aggressive generosity. <laughs> and it's and it's like this complicated space of like the culture is so hostile that immigrants have to be extra nice so much more assertive just to establish a place whereas like i can move into a place it's like admittedly i'm an introvert i don't want to know my neighbors i don't know my neighbors like that is not my goal I know, I know, like, people and communities and people that I work with and stuff, but I don't know my neighbors, and I don't want to know my neighbors, really. So I'm not going to be the one to, like, bring over stuff. But if somebody brought it to me, I would definitely, I would appreciate it. But that, like, nobody's going to be hostile to me, at least not on first sight. They might once they get to know me <laughs> and once I put the rainbow flag up, but it's not going to be the, like... I need to do this in order for, like, to wear somebody down yeah. to get them to stop. I mean, and this was like 12, 15 years ago. Like, I wonder even now with everything being harder. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's right. that's good to think is that the narrative in general is stacked against immigrants, right? Whether it's in the movies, in, in you know, the political discourse. In all the laws that are being passed mm-hmm. in Congress here in Iowa and in many other states, so it, it is—it's not easy for sure. Yeah, nobody's tailoring their campaigning to immigrants because they're not voting. Yeah. Which I mean, there are plenty of us who care about immigrants who are voting, but we haven't figured out yet how to have our voices be loud enough with immigrant voices for it to actually like make a difference. And for that matter, yeah. there are immigrants who are voting and. Also true. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think about Iowa Migrant Movement for Justice, like a new organization that got Just for Neighbors and American Friends Service Committee uh, merged into one. Um, mm-hmm. They do an amazing, amazing work. Yeah. I I love the work that they do. Iowa MMJ. Iowa MMJ, yeah. <sighs> Another thing mm-hmm. that it's interesting that it happened, I, I used to travel a lot to the U.S. because I used to work for a nonprofit in Guatemala. Uh, that those long-term relationships between churches in Central America and, well, communities in Central America and churches in the U.S. from a Christian perspective, ecumenical. Uh, and it always baffled me. Like, I would usually get to the U.S. through Houston, and I would see the the officer, you know, when I come to customs, and, uh, like, a guy who looked Latino, his name tag said, for example, Jose Lopez, and he was talking in Spanish to the person next to him. And then... I would come and and he would start asking me things in English, like, where are you going? How long are you staying here? And all these things. And I would answer in Spanish and he would still ask, uh, keep, keep asking in English. Like he would never talk to me in Spanish, knowing that, you know, like my passport is like, hey, I'm coming from Guatemala. I'm Guatemala. You speak Spanish. But uh, and so I, I start to realize that there's a lot of people that say that sometimes 
uh, if immigrants that don't have papers, once they have papers, they become hostile to, Im to immigrants without documents uh, or people who are mm. second, third generation. Yeah. And I think, and this is just a hunch based on, on, on what I've seen and, and my experience, is that even if you are like four or fifth generation Hispanic descendant or Latino, Latinx, even if you never cross the border, but the border cross you, <laughs> And you end up being suddenly in the U.S. and your family, you know, like end up being suddenly in the U.S. And so, therefore, you know, you're a citizen and your parents have been citizens and your grandparents have been citizens and your great-grandparents have been citizens. Even with all those things, they still experience a lot of racism and the whole narrative that's against immigrants, right? Uh, like, we don't have anything in our forehead that says yeah. citizen or non-citizen, right? So, th there's a lot of, of judgment by uh, how people look or if they speak Spanish or they don't speak Spanish or, you know, even though... Immigrants, of course, are not just from Latin America. They're all from all over the world. But I talk about my experience as yeah. a Latinx person. So long story short, I think what happens is that these people experience a lot of racism and prejudice. And in a subconscious way, they may think, okay, if undocumented immigrants stopped coming, people would stop being racist against me. And then I wouldn't have to deal with all this crap. So mm. I don't want any more undocumented immigrants to come so that I can have like a better life. Uh, but but the, the sad thing is like, regardless of whether there's immigrants or, or not more immigrants, racism will still exist if we don't address it, right? And these people, even though they may be third, fourth, fifth generation, they will still experience racism. Yeah. Yeah. It's the divide and conquer, right? If, if white supremacy can pit undocumented immigrants against documented immigrants against citizens whether they've been citizens for a day or for longer, then all of that infighting keeps everyone from actually like addressing the white supremacy that's demanding yeah. that of them. The same way that American white supremacy has been pitting lower class uh, white Americans against Americans of all other races for mm -hmm. since time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a lot of conversations with people about immigration over the years, uh, generally with white people, uh, generally with rural uh, Midwestern white people. And I occasionally enjoy derailing those conversations <laughs> by responding to their comments about immigrants uh, with stories about a friend of mine who is a white European woman who immigrated to the U.S. in order to marry her uh, American husband uh, because he couldn't move to her country. She is still angry that she had to leave her home health mm. system, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would be too. Yeah. And oddly enough, when I bring her up in these conversations about immigration, uh, often people will have a vastly different opinion of her than they do of many other groups of immigrants who mm. also happen to not share mm. the skin color, weirdly enough. What a surprise. Yeah. So do you have any further comments about the many social forces that impact how immigrants might be viewed by the population in their new homes? Well, I mean, there's all this intersectionality, right? Like race, gender. Uh, at at Trinity Las Americas, we uh, walk with uh, two uh, transgender women that came from uh, Central America and Mexico. And immigrants... Uh, have like a really hard uh, story, you know, like undocumented immigrants. But but then you had being transgender and an immigrant, and it's just like all these other things. Um, mm -hmm. Sure, it, it, it's very complicated, and I think we need to talk more about all these things because even in progressive circles, people don't realize how all these things intersect and how they affect one another. And the other thing that reminded me when you were sharing, Kay, I don't know if this is still true. This was true when I was in seminary in, in 2013. Uh, so I guess I should Google it or, or do some research. But at that time, uh, I, I always enjoy asking people which one was the biggest group of undocumented people in the U.S. And that's people from Mexico. And yes. Oh. And the second biggest uh, undocumented group in the U.S., guess from where uh -uh. Canada um my thought would be like the original Puritans they it's not like they have well no no but, but but it's it's like nowadays M oh, modern, modern yeah, okay. yeah 
I that is a great question. Irish people, th things oh, were so oh, yes. hard I have heard in, those in, in Ireland in terms of financial stuff that a lot of yeah. people came to the U to the U.S. They didn't need, uh, you know, like a visa, right? They just came. Uh, they could stay the eighty days the, over the ninety days, and of course you have to pay a fine. But nobody will ask them for their papers. They're white. They speak English. Uh, some people right. like their accent, mm -hmm. like so they even had like uh, easier time. Uh, and so th there's a lot of uh, at that time. I don't know where that's true still today. Uh, but there were a lot of uh, Irish people undocumented here in the U.S., but nobody would, you know, mess with them or ask them for their papers or anything. Actually, that that still happens. Uh, my husband's best friend lives in Boston, and a vast number of Irish people come over undocumented during the summer uh, to work in the, the coastal port towns on the East Coast uh, and then go mm -hmm. back, and they make money hand over fist because everyone wants to hire someone with an Irish accent and no one cares about hmm. the papers. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's... Huh. That's fascinating. I hit Google while <laughs> I was while you were talking because I was like, now I want to know what the next one is. Canadians? <laughs> no, I mean, why would they want to come here? They have good whole care. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was my exact thought, yes. Yeah, it's, I mean, Mexico, the Northern Triangle. I don't know what they mean by Northern. Oh, that's El Salvador, Guatemala, yeah. and Honduras. Yeah, the rest of them are all broken up into, like, multiple countries. So it's hard huh. to, like, get just a, like, this one, then this one, then this one. Well, and what I was thinking about was the number one way people come who end up being undocumented immigrants is actually on tourist visas. Oh, yeah. They fly in, and then they just overstay yeah. their visa. Which that's why building yeah. a border wall is a dumb idea. <laughs> it's like, right? That's why it was a hundred percent racism, right? Like it wasn't yeah. about anything else. Yeah. And when you look at the percentages of the uh, uh, American illegal immigrants to Mexico, it's amazing. But yeah. Yeah, there's. I mean, the trend is actually that more people are going to Mexico than are coming from Mexico to the U.S. Yeah. Like there's still a lot of migration back and forth but yeah well and, and, and another thing like, like like to think about the former president right like wanted to build this wall because was against immigrants uh his wife is an immigrant his mother uh was an immigrant so it was funny when he proposed that you know immigrants when his wife was an undocumented yes, yes, immigrant true she, she, she worked without yeah. papers yes but but yeah when he was proposing like you know immigrants Which and their kids should be deported fine, but like for his political <laughs> Yeah. That's your kids. And I tried to find this Twitter account before we started recording, but I haven't been able to yet. Uh, but I do love, there's a Twitter account where uh, the person behind it specializes in looking up the records, uh, genealogical and then uh, the, the legal immigration papers of people who propose anti-immigration legislation and the number of legislators who make these horrible anti-immigration laws who have illegal immigrants on their family trees is astounding. Hmm. I was going to say, immigrants. yes, yes. Uh, it's not illegal to be yeah. human. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. But that's yeah. also the language that they use. Yeah. That, that the legislators yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not the Twitter account. yeah yeah but it's i mean right like ted cruz oh. is <laughs> I, and i was thinking like i mean there's people who become I mean, like very like okay I, I don't know which if it was the associated press or where then okay so we're gonna call people illegal immigrants we're just gonna call like illegal immigration which i, I think that's still it's a very bad thing I, and by the way i'm not sure whether which press group or which uh news source is the one that still doesn't refer to humans as illegal immigrants, but it uses the term for immigration illegal. Because up to today, like, I mean, June 23rd of 2021, to be in the U.S. without a document, it's not a crime. Uh, it would be the equivalent of a speeding yeah. ticket, right? And so if you're yeah. speeding and the and you get caught and you get a fine, you're not an illegal driver. <laughs> you just got a fine. But yeah. so it, it was yeah. like in time of one of the two Bushes, president that there was some republican strategies that on purpose said like we need to start using uh the term illegal when connected to immigrants so we can stoke fear i mean there's a whole memo if you go that i'm sure that's mm -hmm. easy to find uh th that shows how is in using illegal connected to immigration is not just oh so somebody thought about that or just it's it's a well-planned 
uh, strategy. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's I think it was W is my guess, but yeah, George W. Bush. Yeah, but yeah, and it's I mean I I've seen and had those stickers that say no human being is illegal and. Because it is that. And that's and that's one of the things that I've told many of people of like it's literally like a fine to do. Now, there's all sorts of stuff that has been built up as that fear mongering yeah. has increased, right? To make it into like, oh, but we can get it so that they have a felony if we do yeah. this and we twist this and but yeah, it's just frustrating to it's that and then also like though when we decide who goes to jail and who yeah. doesn't. Is connected to that right if it's just a fine you shouldn't have to put someone in jail but that's increasingly what is being done there's increasing monitoring and all of that oh. for whoever i mean that they also do it with, right with protesters yeah, yeah. and all of that stuff but oh, no but but in the u.s since forever yeah. uh the whole private prison of immigrants it, it's a business uh they get paid $135 per person per night. Uh, like these facilities with Geo uh, Center, the Geo facilities, Geo Corp. Geo yeah. And there's another yeah. couple ones that, and they get, there's a piece of, of legislation that says that at any given point, there has to be a minimum of so many people. So there's like a quota. And, and regardless of if yeah. they have that number of people or not, uh, the government pays these corporations this amount of money and so of course they always try to get more people so they'll get paid more but it's it's disgusting yeah it's the the ways that the for-profit prison industry and the prison industry in general all mix together to harm like they just harm everybody and it's so insidious it gets into every facet of our lives it's not just like crime it's also like the way that the war on drugs became a war against poor people and against black and brown people. And then also like immigration became a violent, became a criminal, like became criminalized. And so that it could, each thing just like continues to support to the extent that we have more people in jail now than we're enslaved hmm. during slavery. Hmm. And the only place the constitution allows slavery is inside yeah, when inside you're in jail. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, in the U.S., if you're an employer who steals from your employees by, say, withholding wages, you pay a fine. And if you're an employee who steals from your employer, you go to jail. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Same hundred bucks. One person goes to jail. The other maybe pays half of it back. Yeah. If you're lucky. And like 10 cents to a lawyer. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. This country. Why would anybody come here? I mean, that's... There are lots of important reasons because we do a lot worse things also in other well, countries. Yeah, right? I mean, like, I mean if, if you think about it, I, I had a professor in seminary that always said very clearly that I, he, he's from Cuba, um, Miguel de la Torre. Why would people hmm. be surprised that people from Latin America and other countries want to come to the U.S. if, if this corporations and with the blessing of the government went into our countries and still are natural resources and just leave a trail. And so people are just, people are just coming uh, here looking for what was taken from our countries. So the, the matter is, is not about offering hospitality to immigrants because you offer hospitality when you assume that what you had is yours, uh, but immigrants are, are just mm, coming yeah. for what is theirs. So that was very um, eye-opening. So he, he always was against, like, don't call it hospitality because this country was built on stealing from other countries. So it's not like it's yours. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it because it is. Like, that's what the United States has done both militarily and corporately, like, capitalistically. Yeah. Like, we go in and we prop up military dictatorships. We make space for multinational cor corporations to come in and completely decimate the environment, the economy, right? It's, I think when I was in, I went to Mexico um, when I was in seminary with a group of high schoolers to do a cultural immersion leadership program. And at that time, I think it's still the case, it was actually cheaper to buy corn from the U.S. than it was, like to buy corn and tortillas from the U.S. than it was to buy them locally at the markets because 
the U.S. had manipulated, U.S. corporations had manipulated corn and with subsidies NAFTA, and all yes. of that so much. And, and, and the yeah. thing with that as well is that you may buy corn, but then you can't save some of the kernels to plant for next season because it's genetically modified, so you have to buy it again. And not to mention the whole mm-hmm. cultural aspect of your relationship with corn and food and growing your own food. And yeah. yeah. Happy 4th of July. <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's part of it. Like it was intentional for us to choose this topic on the 4th of July because not because the United States is made up of immigrants, because we are not, we are made up of native people who have been here since well before any settlers. We've, we're made up of people who were kidnapped and enslaved and mm-hmm. brought over here. And we are made up of immigrants. Yes, I, I love that you mentioned but, I love that you mentioned that because whenever somebody says, like, we're a nation of immigrants, I've used, because uh, there's a lot of people who didn't choose to come here. Yeah. They were brought by force and a lot of people who were here before, too. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, as long as we can draw a straight line between smallpox blankets and coca-cola hiring death squads in latin america we can't really celebrate america without knowing who america Mm. is Mm -hmm. speaking of immigration and also speaking of uh joyfully derailing conversations about immigration in ways that bother other people (laughs) i've had a number of conversations about immigration uh again mostly with white people, often with right, white, rural, uh, Midwestern people, that have gotten very muddled uh, due to the other person not fully considering the differences between, say, refugees, who are all, often also immigrants, and immigrants, not all of whom are refugees. Mm. When you write immigration policy, you have to write policy that can delineate between the two, among others. Uh, and so I was wondering if... Uh, Pastor Alejandro, if you've also had these muddled conversations, and do you have any tips on how to clear them up in ways that make my brain hurt less, or any thoughts on uh, how to how to address these awkward conversations? Well, I, I guess there's the there's different angles to consider the immigrant immigrant and refugee conversation. Uh, in, in terms of policy, you, you have to make. The, note the difference and i think one problem with that from my perspective is that my experience is more with uh city folks not rural areas as much and, and so sure. even folks who are not really sympathetic toward immigrants who said oh refugees like oh yeah like they they came the right way you, you, you know they, they did it the right way so they should be uh welcome here but mm-hmm. immigrants so they associate immigrants with undocumented people and refugees are different uh, and from my perspective, uh, we're all immigrants. Uh, and then just to muddy the waters more, there's a lot of climate refugees w- w- with all the storms that have been happening in Central America since the last couple of decades. Th- th- there's also refugees from violence. I, I mean, in-, in in the congregation I serve, th- there's a person who's- whose son got killed by gangs because uh, the U.S. presses for this person to bring her... Uh, her son was so long that they ran out of time. I mean, and they've been in the process for seven yeah. years. So I guess m- my thing would be just to encourage people just to use the term immigrant without making a distinction. Uh, and I would say that because some people tend to think like refugees are okay, immigrants are not. And I guess if yeah. I understood where you're coming from, some people may think like refugees and immigrants are the same. I don't want anyone. Yeah, well, or... Um... The number of conversations I've had with people who did refugee work uh, several decades ago with, say, the waves of Latvian refugees that uh, in my area of Minnesota, there, there were several groups of Latvian refugees that were resettled uh, in the area. Uh, and they are so proud that they helped resettle those families. Meanwhile, uh, two generations later, all of those Latvians have left because it wasn't actually that great for them to be to live mm-hmm. here. They've moved to cities. And secondly these very same people are objecting to refugee communities who happen to have slightly different skin mm. tones than them, who are either in their neighborhoods or in the local cities. And yeah. it's just exhausting. It's like racism and white supremacy gang, right? Yeah. Yep. And I remember when I was serving in rural Minnesota, there were a couple congregations in our the southeastern Minnesota Synod that were made up mostly if not entirely of 
South Sudanese refugees. And what's fascinating about that in particular is, so the continent of Africa was carved up by colonizers and the church carved it up along those lines. So wherever Germany colonized Lutherans would be and wherever England colonized the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church would be and like that sort of thing. And so Sudan is not a place where there's a history of Lutheranism. But Lutheran World Relief and Lutheran Disaster Response are actually like pretty solid organizations. And when they send blankets for refugees in refugee camps and those sorts of things to care for people, they always put Lutheran World Relief or Lutheran Disaster Response on them. And so people kept seeing Lutheran. And so when they were resettled in Minnesota, they went to the Lutheran church because they had seen Mm. that like the Lutherans and the ELCA has this problem right now also with LGBTQ stuff, right? We're telling people that it's okay to come to Lutheran churches because nationally we're putting things out during pride month that you're, that queer people are cool. But realistically, 9% of our congregations are reconciling congregations. So have done the work to welcome LGBTQ people. So it's a thing that Lutherans do a lot. But in Minnesota, it happened that then people actually like were able to start a smaller worshiping community in relationship with another one, and it was able to grow. And so it became like this beautiful thing, but it definitely was like not an hmm. intentional evangelism. It wasn't an intentional outreach by any of the like congregations or people in those communities who benefited from these immigrants coming and finding place there and finding home and welcome. And I think there are some congregations that do that. And there are a lot of congregations that don't. And there are some congregations that just like get surprise benefits from the bigger work that other people do. Yeah. I also think like the other thing that I think about, Kay, when I think about rural conversations about immigration is the number of people that say, but I live in this rural town and it's so homogenous. Everybody is white. Except they're not because I was getting gas two days ago and the family in the car next to me was speaking Spanish to each other. Right. But like, particularly when it comes to undocumented immigration, right? We have so many agribusinesses in this country, especially dairy in Minnesota that and it and it is safer, right? It is safer for undocumented people to Not be in the shadows. Yep. And so yep. there's like there's a reason why white people who aren't paying attention cannot notice those things. But the diversity exists in every town. There is no town that is a hundred percent white unless they're like actually like a KKK town that has like kicked out everybody. Right? Yeah. But but people just don't don't see them, choose not to see them, or forget that, like, they are the employers of Mexican immigrants or Guatemala, like, wherever they Mm -hmm. might be from, the ones that I was thinking of were from Mexico, but, and so it's just, like, this space where it's, like, okay, and the congregation I served there before I got there had had that moment of realization, like, huh, there are groups of people that come on, like, worker visas to the local farm during harvest season. And there are folks who work at the dairies. Has anybody actually welcomed them? And they were like, I don't think anybody has. And so the congregation did. And it's and it's actually like a beautiful ministry and a beautiful example of actually paying attention to mm. who's around you and welcoming yeah. welcoming people. Not with expectations of like, you're going to join the church or whatever, but like, we're going to welcome you. We're going to have a party every time you come. And we're going to have a party before you leave every year. And and we're going to try and get together between that and hang out and get to know each other and build relationships. And and I think that's that's the work that white people and citizens in the U.S. of all races are responsible for. It shouldn't just be, right, the woman from from the congregation who's (laughs) bringing tomatoes and pies and, like, all of the great things. Like, it should be the other way around. The tradition is when someone moves in, the neighbors bring like a welcome yeah. that person. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I will find a baked good you like, <laughs> and I don't care how long it will take until I do. <laughs> yeah. So, Alejandro, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? Well, I was thinking, if, if for the people who are listening, if you've never 
met an immigrant before. And I don't mean like, you know, you were shopping and the person next to you was an immigrant, but like if you'd never had a relationship with an immigrant that's from a different color of skin than yours, uh, I would just encourage you to, to, to try to establish a relationship, right? And it's not like you're going to, hey, now you're going to come on and be my immigrant friend, <laughs> but, but to establish like a genuine, <laughs> you know, like horizontal relationship. Uh, and you'll be surprised by all the things you could learn. I learn a lot from people that it's that are not like me, and so I always try to to be in relationship with others who are different than, than me because I know I I have a lot to learn. So I would encourage you to do that. Yeah, yep. And I I think for me, some of the ways that that happens, particularly as a person with a fair amount of privilege, um, and I don't know if this is kind of what you're talking about, Alejandro, or not, but is to show up where people are already showing up, mm. right? To So to show up at the protests around really terrible immigration policy and to show up for the teach-ins and to show up in those spaces if you are if you don't already have, like, people in your lives who are immigrants or who look different than you, uh, that those are the spaces. Because then, like, I think for those of us who are white especially, like, we have to earn that. We can't just assume that someone is going to want to be our friend. And so if we're showing up, if we're putting our bodies on the line or we're engaging in education and activism, that whether it's in person or virtually, then we start to to prove ourselves, to prove that we might actually be trustworthy. Yes, yes. You said much more eloquently. Thank you, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about, you know, it's not about take somebody to eat. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's about um, yeah. caring. And I, I don't know if, you know, regardless of what people's believe in God, the universe, faith or lack of faith, but, you know, just being a decent human being, it, it's about showing that you care and, and, and where people need, yeah. when people need that, it, it would be a better way to, to, to show that you're actually, you don't want to have a token friend, but you're actually interested in the person. Yeah. I would also say that if you're in a rural area or you're not particularly connected to political goings-ons, another place uh, that I have found really wonderful to meet uh, immigrants and people different from you is find a a local community building volunteer experience that doesn't require you to spend money to volunteer. For example, if you uh, volunteer to help out with the background logistical work uh, of organizing the county fair, and uh, you volunteer to, to say, help unload the truck when the, the truck shows up with all of the wonderful food that's going to be tried later that day, uh, <laughs> you will meet some really fantastic people. And very often, that is a place where uh, immigrants or people from that background uh, will show up. So, mm. Thank yeah. you, Kate. That's great. Good suggestion. <laughs> well, Wonderful. thank you both, Emily and Kate, very much. This was really, really fun. I appreciate the invitation, and thank you for the work you both do. Thanks. Thanks for being on with us. Our first reading for this episode is from Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. After being exiled to Babylon in 597 BCE, Ezekiel receives a vision, and God commissions Ezekiel to speak even when people don't want to listen. So one of the themes for this passage is the idea of being sent. So God is sending Ezekiel to the people of Israel. And I was thinking about that and trying to think of like when people are sent, not, not with the, like, I guess with the understanding that the people they're being sent to might not listen and might not do anything different, right? But they're still sent. Jonah. Well, Jonah's different because Jonah is the one who, like, does all the wrong things. Well, yes, but he wasn't expecting the Ninevites to to listen to him. And then they did, and that's what pissed him off. But, yeah. That's true. I was more thinking of, like, non-biblical ones, since that's the connections we usually try to make. Because, actually, now that you say that, I think I did think of Jonah, but... I also just think of Jonah as a classic comic figure, so. It's true. The epitome of a terrible prophet. Terribly successful. Anyway. Speaking of movies that should star Muppets. Uh, Anyway. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I would like the worm to be a human. (laughs) Everything else can But. This is becoming a subgenre for us, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> with who is the human in a Muppet movie. 
Yes. How many about the stories? <laughs> the actual point you were going for. Yeah, I actually was thinking about Greta Thunberg. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right. You got the Greta part right. Yeah. The climate activist who took a boat to the United States, and it was one of those things that, like, you know, I imagine other countries just, like, look at the U.S. and they're like, there's nothing's going to change ever. Because sometimes I feel that way. Yeah. But still, she was sent by herself, but, like, by the need of the climate activism to the U.S. to push for change. And I think that is happening with more and more frequency, that youth who are supposed to be kids and supposed to be able to be kids are being sent now. And I think part of that is on us as adults that we're not doing the work that we should be doing to protect them and to make the world safe and like when I was that age I was being sent to convince grown-ups to quit smoking which a didn't work and b wasn't always all that welcome but I was adorable so you know that helped but (laughs) that that was a level of emotional responsibility I didn't really want and also it didn't work and so I can't imagine how much worse it would be if I felt like I was the chance for an entire country to fix climate change and then you know the country is america have a nice time <laughs> really good luck yikes yeah agreed so that's that's why i was thinking of ezekiel and going to the people of israel who may not care and probably won't listen yeah i'm sure there have been a number of ambassadors in that situation some of whom we would like some of not so much and I feel like there has to be a Harry Potter reference there somewhere, right? Probably, but I didn't like look Hagrid that hard. going to the Giants or something. Mm-hmm. Hagrid going to the Giants would work. In verse two, we read, "And when God spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. I heard God speaking to me." So, if nothing else, this must have been a profoundly unsettling experience. <laughs> I've watched a few seasons of Red vs. Blue, which is a a web series created by using the video game Halo and some voice actors. They used the video game to make the visuals, and then they put uh, voiceover content that creates the stories. Interesting. It's, It's pretty fun, although the more seasons you watch, the more narratively depressing it gets. (laughs) But the first couple seasons are just absolute sheer fun. And... There are a couple of characters in the series who are at various points disembodied for various reasons and can possess other people's bodies. And no matter how generally benevolent they may or may not uh, be trying to be about it, in a few cases they're just you know causing mayhem rather than being malicious. But the concept of having that happen is always deeply weird to the other characters in the show. And I have to imagine that really wouldn't change because... This goes on for a while, and no, they really don't get used to it. (laughs) It's still weird. Yeah, that seems like a hard thing to get used to. Yeah. I was thinking about the same verse and thinking about the spirit entering. The spirit entered me into me and set me on my feet. And it reminded me of the Ghostbusters movie. Ooh! The newest Ghostbusters movie. I figured. Yeah. The only one worth mentioning at this point. When the ghost goes in and possesses the receptionist guy and, like, puts him on his, like, knocks him over and puts him on his feet and tries to rule the world with him, but... Yeah, that doesn't so much work. Yeah, he tries, you know, which is not nothing. I mean, I'm fairly certain that if Chris Helmsworth actually wanted to rule the world, he'd probably have more luck than the ghost did. Probably true. We should all be grateful that he's apparently not interested. Yeah. I I imagine that a spirit entering a person, God's spirit entering a person, is not quite as jarring as either of our examples. I would hope not. And yet also still probably weird. Yep. I mean, look at angels. What do you expect? And they're covered with eyes all around, all around, and they're covered with eyes all around. (laughs) I may have written a version of that song for angels. (sighs) That's fantastic, and that is the first time that you have been the one to break out into song, I think. It, it's been a while, I'm sure. hmm Congratulations. I'm excited for that to make it into our episode. <laughs> and then in verse 3, we read, God said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. This made me think of the... 
Allegiant book, I believe, in the Divergent series, where we finally find out that the city of Chicago, the place that Divergent and Insurgent take place, the population has been sent there because of really bad human decisions, and then the descendants, which is the contemporary inhabitants for when the story takes place, make more bad human decisions. Shocking! I know! What a surprise! So, that just reminded me, though, of the, like, well, they're rebelling, let's try this thing. They're still rebelling, just in a new way. Anything more? Huh? Huh? Yeah. It's not fair that this didn't happen when I was making notes for this episode, but when you said, a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me, I immediately heard that in Emperor Palpatine's voice. Mm. Then, later, in verse 4, we read, The descendants are impudent and stubborn. Okay, raise your hand if you are part of a ethnic, cultural, and or religious tradition that prides itself on being stubborn. <laughs> I'm waving. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pride yourself on being stubborn necessarily, because there are times when that is a super useful and helpful trait. But recognizing the downsides is also important work to do. Mm-hmm. Just ask the vast majority of action heroes who also manage to destroy their personal lives by being, you know, action heroes. <laughs> I'm just saying. Truth. This was actually not a matter of finding a good reference, as it was a matter of choosing one out of the thousands. So I decided to just go with the classic action hero. That makes sense. Yeah. It's your turn. Man, I was just pondering oh. Tony Stark. Ah, I was definitely thinking uh, Bruce Willis. Although, to be fair, mm. I think Bruce Willis's character in uh, Red actually did do some of the work of recognizing why being an action hero isn't always the greatest idea. That's impressive. Our second reading for this episode is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. Paul instructs Christians not to boast because we all have weaknesses and faults. No matter what those are, God's grace is all that we need and also what we all need. So boasting, eh? Paul talks definitely talks about boasting and whether or not he is boasting and who he's boasting for. And I am on a pose kick because I just finished the series, which is phenomenal. And if you haven't watched it, you definitely should. Content notifications for lots of things, mature audience only, blah, blah, blah. But pose, I think, is a great example of boasting uh, because like in the ballroom, they boast all the time. There is so much shade thrown around and so much boasting and bragging and pride in self, but the way that we think of boasting a lot of the times is that it's a negative thing or that it's an overinflated sense of self. And in the ballrooms in the show, it's like there's a sense that it is a it is a decided like counterpunch to the rest of the dominant culture that is continually beating down on folks and telling them that they're not worth enough. And so then the ballroom comes up and that's a place to boast about yourself, but then also to boast about your house. And thanks to Blanca, who is the best, it also becomes a place to lift up each other so that even those of you who are rivals or rival houses still are lifting up and supporting each other and boasting in the whole community, which is awesome. Excellent. Personally, I, I never boast. I'm the most humble. <laughs> in verse 2, we read, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. But the real question is, is there frozen yogurt there, like in the good place? I have to say, Paul, I actually kind of doubt that you had this conversation personally with the person who had this experience, because the idea that this happened to someone and they didn't immediately start describing exactly what it was like there and or if it was in spirit or in body yeah or like anything like you know what did it look like who was there what what kind of food was there you know it i'm there are so many people who have so many questions about what heaven is like and this person answered almost none of them and is it that paul was you know combing through the uh, hours and hours and hours of uh, of monologuing that this person must have been doing uh, and picking out the one or two details he actually thought were important because that totally sounds like Paul and also <laughs> I object <laughs> and you know I would like to know if you can get real ice cream there even if you actually are lactose intolerant so mm-hmm. 
these although, are the important c- questions, Paul. You're you're not explaining. Although a froyo place, like the good place, not bad. I I don't necessarily object to to froyo, but I can't have froyo either because I'm still lactose intolerant. And so if I'm going to you know celebrate, not whip? having to worry about that. Were I'm you sorry? a Dole Whip person? At I don't know if y'all had like frozen yogurt things in college. We did, and Dole Whip was the lactose free. Oh, I did not actually find out I was lactose intolerant until after college. It explained a lot. (laughs) That makes sense. I was looking at verse 6 and thinking again about Divergent because I'm in the middle of listening to the Insurgent book on audio. But as verse 6 says, But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me. The first part of the verse is just the reality that kids are brilliant at this, right? They can boast because it's all truthful and they're just saying it like it is and they don't know not to say that they're awesome because they are awesome. Of course they are. Yep. But the other piece is like, abnegation would be terrible at the first half and awesome at the second half, right? Like Paul sounds like abnegation, but I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me. Like abnegation is the faction that is all about selflessness. And so of course they're not going to boast, not going to draw attention to themselves, but they will refrain. Yeah. In verse seven, we read, Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. We don't know what this is for Paul, uh, what his his thorn in the flesh is, but I, I do find it at least somewhat reassuring that he can admit that he is somehow not perfect, or his life isn't perfect, or there is mm-hmm. some kind of you know flaw in existence in his universe, uh, because that keeps him from going even further over the top uh, irritating for me Uh, but we do know in storytelling that in order for a character to be truly interesting uh, it really helps if that person has a flaw of some kind preferably a a character flaw uh, some characteristic of them that is uh, sometimes a problem and the number of times that I have explained this to writers who have been who have asked me to beta their fanfic borders on the ridiculous because <laughs> no, not being great at math does not count as a character flaw. <laughs> that that is just a grade you got in middle school, dude. I no, I please give them a character flaw. Like they don't have to always be magically perfect. You you can allow them to be bad at being punctual. You can allow them to hold a grudge. You can allow them to be really terrible at picking up on other people's feelings or whatever. Just give them something that makes them different and interesting and that will help. Otherwise, I'm not going to care about them if they're magically perfect in every way because they're not Mary Poppins and she already holds that role. And she so. even says practically perfect. Exactly. And if Mary Poppins isn't perfect, nobody is. Right. JK, that's actually about God. God's not perfect. <laughs> Wait, no. No, God gets to be perfect, but God is the only one. Yeah, that. Uh-huh. Be- because in order for us to be interesting, we all have to be different. And God took that place first, and so the rest of us have to be flawed in some way. Congratulations. That's just how storytelling works. <laughs> perfect. That's what I tell people when we lead worship together at the beginning. I'm like, just so you know... If we don't mess up at some point during this, then we're going to have to do it at the end just to make sure that we all know that we're not perfect. God is. I mean, to be fair, there are certain kinds of mistakes I like to avoid. Like, I had a professor who had a story about her shoes catching on fire in the middle of a service once. There was a Christmas tree, but anyway. That sounds scary. Yeah, some mistakes can be avoided, but I've never had to on purpose make a mistake. So, doing pretty good at being human. Um, Thank you for pretending for the rest of us. I I try. Another thing to point out, just just to make sure we name this, is that there is some conversation around the thorn in Paul's side being sexuality, sexual orientation stuff. And that's unknown and, like, pretty complicated because the ways that we understand sexual orientation and sexuality and gender identity, all of those nowadays is different than they understood them in Paul's time. So we can't quite see them the same way. Um, And it can be, I think it can be a really life-giving thing for folks who 
are told that who they are is not good to hear that Paul to hear you that Paul's know. thorn yeah. in the side might be that he was gay and that God was like nah keep this this is you this is good yeah and just Paul thought it was a thorn but it also this is a passage that can be used really harmfully towards queer people so be careful if you read it and if you preach it at this point I can't read this verse without mentally picturing the cartoon of Paul in jail with Spongebob Squarepants next to him, and Spongebob is the thorn in his side because Spongebob wants to keep talking all the time. Oh yeah, Spongebob would be the perfect thorn. (laughs) Thorn in anybody's side. So, that's been making the rounds of my various clergy groups for some years now. Oh, nice. I haven't seen that one. Okay. Um, I I will try to find it. Okay. So in verse 9 we read, But Christ said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. And this reminded me of the fourth book in the Graceling series, Winter Keep, which is the newest one that just came out this in the last year. And Bitter Blue, who is this like queen and supposed to be like powerful and and people in Winter Keep don't really know her history. Um, but it is precisely because she can tell Lovisa this young winter keep girl um, about her past and her experiences and connect with her on that level that they are able to connect and that Lovisa is able to trust her and to um, be with her. So it's it's that brave vulnerability like we talked about several episodes ago. Great. To be honest about our weaknesses, to be honest about when we're not doing great or when we mess up. Yeah. Our gospel reading for this episode is from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus goes home, where they can't believe he's a prophet, let alone the Son of God, and instructs his disciples how to go about doing God's work, depending on the hospitality of the people they encounter. So one of the themes for this passage that I noticed was hospitality. And again, we'll shoot to pose. Um, to the, All the way through the show, Blanca is the embodiment of hospitality. She is always gathering people in and providing hospitality for them, um, even to the very, very end. It's finding new people to be part of her house, part of the house of Evangelista, whether she's the mother or the grandmother, but to, to welcome people, to give people second chances when they, you know, when they realize they messed up and have done some work around that but to welcome people back in always and that's I think she's a great model of what it can mean to be hospital and as queer people who create our own family that happens a lot of welcoming new people into our families and broadening and deepening our support excellent in verse five we read and Jesus could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them Excuse me, Jesus. This is plenty powerful for a <laughs> right? did I they always just... think that. Yeah, or or did they just have a slight cold or something and you cleared them up of the sniffles? Is that what went on? I don't, I don't know. The TV show House had a whole episode center around the concept of a faith healer, and it was super powerful of a concept for them. I mean, okay, yes, it turned out that, you know, guy was actually a fraud, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Stop putting yourself down, Jesus. We believe in you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I always get confused about that first because I'm like, he could do nothing except for this and that. (laughs) In verse 8, we read, Jesus ordered the 12 to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. And this made me think about migration and the ways that people migrate across borders. And for some people, if they are fleeing violence, it is a fast thing and you might not have bread, bag, money. Yeah, And even for those who are as well prepared as they could possibly be crossing the border, each step along the way, things get left behind. Yeah. <laughs> so, for example, along the river, right, there's frequently clothes that are left behind when people get out of the river and put on new clothes that are dry. Or in the desert, you can see people dropping off, dropping backpacks dropping whatever they need to drop in the hopes that they can make it to the next water station to the next road to the next place to find safety and shelter Um, which is this I mean it's a system that we have set up in this country so that only the hardiest of workers get through so that they can be exploited as much as possible 
yeah. which is awful. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a terrible thing, and it is a real thing that people experience. Yeah, not just across our the our southern border, but throughout the world as people flee violence and economic and environmental disasters. Yeah. On a lighter note, uh, I also read that verse, and my immediate thought was of my grandpa. I have previously mentioned on the show that one of my grandpas was an engineer, and the idea of doing this, of going somewhere without taking the necessary stuff and not planning ahead, would have given him the screaming heebie-jeebies, to use a technical term. Uh, His rule was, however many days long the trip was going to be, that's how many months ahead you would start planning it. So if you were going to take a six-day trip, you started planning it six months out. And by you, I mean him. (laughs) Uh, When my aunt, his youngest child, and who was, uh, for his entire life, the only person who could talk him into things that no one else could talk him into, when she was a teen, she managed to talk him into a few road trips where they didn't make reservations at hotels ahead of time, they just kept driving until they found a place to stay. And for decades after this, he spoke about these trips with a sense of wonder at the idea that he had ever dared to try it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like, until the day he died. It was so deeply unsettling for him. (laughs) But this is also the guy who actually enjoyed balancing his checkbook by hand. So that kind of tells you what type of nerd he was. I don't write checks, otherwise I would probably also enjoy balancing my checkbook by hand. I do write checks, and I greatly appreciate the online banking system that does my math for me. (laughs) It's not that I couldn't do the math, it's that I appreciate someone else being willing to do it for me, even if it's a computer program. That's fair. I love math. I love math, too. I just don't want to have to do it all the time. In verse 11, Jesus continues the instructions for the twelve and says, If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Right? The immediate thing that always happens when I think about feet and like leaving people is the person who threw the shoe at President Bush. Yeah. And he was in Iraq, I think. But that's that's a big insult, right? Culturally, that's a big insult. Sure. And so thinking about that as like shake the dust off your feet. But I also, when I was on internship, was we were using this series from Rob Bell. And one of the episodes, I will probably always go back to this episode, but it talks about um, ashes and, and that the saying is, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea is that you're following so closely behind that you get covered in their dust. And so then I was thinking about that in connection with this shaking the dust off your feet, that you don't want to carry any evidence of your presence in that place to anywhere else because it might be misconstrued as an endorsement, right? Just because I went to school at this place does not mean I think that other people should go to school at this place. Or just because I was here for whatever reason, doesn't mean that I think it's a safe place for everybody. Um, So that sort of like, don't accidentally endorse terrible things. Don't follow like, don't follow J.K. Rowling. Yeah. I have donated a handful of t-shirts to Goodwill and various places like that for similar reasons. Yeah. Which is then also hard because then somebody else picks them up and wears them. And Well, thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss the nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H, Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want to access our full guest episodes and interviews, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that, though if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christian said, Pax Pax Vobiscum. Vobiscum.